Um, maybe you're here this morning and you lead a company or you're a manager and uh, you've done some interviewing of new employees in your time. Maybe you've, you've uh, been to a few jobs. You've had to kind of put together your resumes. Resumes are pretty important, aren't they? Because your resume really kind of gives a, a future employer, a potential employer, an idea of the kind of person you are. But sometimes I think resumes, you know, we, we stretch them a little bit, don't we? I mean, if we, if we don't lie, we at least try and make the things about us sound even better than they, than they really are. I remember once um, hearing from a friend that he actually had someone apply for a job, and under achievements in education, uh, one of the bullet points read, I hope to get a PhD in the future. (laughs) Well, that's great. I hope to one day walk on the moon. But I'm not sure that it's going to happen, but I do hope that one day I will get to do that. And uh, so that kind of got me thinking about maybe some other, and I, I did a little search on Google, and lo and behold, there is a website that is just full of um, HR people and employers who have submitted actual resume entries that they got. Um, I, I spend a lot of time studying the Bible to prepare my message, but I spend way too long on this website this week uh, to kind of just make the point I want to make. But uh, here were some of the, um, uh, just some of the dozens of entries I found. Uh, One person under hobbies, they wrote, I enjoy cooking Chinese and Italians. (laughs) Not sure what the job was he was applying for, but that could work against him. Um, I liked this one under skills, Strong work ethic, attention to detail, team player, self-motivated, attention to detail. (laughs) Very attentive there to detail. Uh, I liked this one. A candidate explained an arrest on his resume by saying, we stole a pig, but it was a really small pig. (laughs) I think that's brilliant. It's like, oh, that's okay then. If it was just a small pig, we'll hire you, because a large pig, that would be problematic. Um, Again, let's, if you're going to apply for a job, why not be completely transparent and tell them everything? It's best for employers that I not work with people. <laughs> I'm just saying, all right? People just do not like me. I don't like them. Languages, um, I speak English and spinach. <laughs> That'll help. <laughs> okay, uh, last one, bad traits. I am very bad about time and don't mind admitting it. Having to arrive at a certain hour just doesn't make any sense to me. What doesn't make sense is that I do the job. Any company that insists upon rigid time schedules will find me a nightmare. (laughs) Fantastic, huh? Hire that guy right there. Just don't ever know when he'll get there. So, True resumes. All right. How about this? Listen to this for a resume. You're you're hiring, okay? You've got an important job in your industry, and uh, you're hiring. This is the resume submitted to you. Actual resume. Graduated from Harvard with his MBA. Quickly climbed the ranks at McKinsey Consulting. Recruited by a major energy company and became CEO within six years. Transformed the energy company into the largest wholesaler of gas and electricity with $27 billion traded in a single quarter. Wow! I think if you're an employer and someone submits a resume and that's who they are, you'd be like, I want to hire that guy. He sounds phenomenal. And this wasn't exaggerated. This really is this gentleman's resume. But do you want to know who this guy is? What if you found out that this was the resume of a guy by the name of Jeff Skilling? 
He was the man responsible for the fraud that caused the company Enron to collapse in 2001, if you remember that. If you don't remember, let me give you a little synopsis of what that meant to that company, those employees, and actually the country at large. It was a scandal that cost 20,000 people their jobs at Enron. It cost another 85,000 people their jobs at an accounting firm called Arthur Anderson because of one man's behavior, one man's fraud. So knowing now who it is, does that change the way you see that resume? I think it probably does, doesn't it? Because on paper, this guy sounds very impressive, doesn't he? But in reality, it turns out that he may not quite have been the person you'd want to hire. You know, I think some of us spend our lives focused on building what I call resume virtues. Resume virtues, the things that we could write down on paper that would make us look really good. But actually, I think the virtues that really matter are what a journalist from the New York Times by the name of David Brooks calls them. He calls them eulogy virtues. So instead of building your resume virtues, what I can do, what I can bring to the company, we should build these, um, what we call eulogy virtues. Here's here's what the difference is. Resume virtues are skills that you bring to the marketplace. Eulogy virtues are the ones that they talk about at your funeral. Eulogy virtues are what's said about you at your funeral. What words would you like to hear at your funeral? Kind, courageous, honest, faithful, loving. Those are eulogy virtues. And yet so many of us, don't we, we spend so much time building our resume virtues and not focusing in on our eulogy virtues. And really, at the end of our lives, which one do you think is the most important? We're continuing on today looking at the life of a a man named Joseph. Joseph lived uh, many, many years ago. You could read about him in the Old Testament in a book uh, of the Bible called Genesis. So this isn't Joseph, the the husband of Mary, Mary and Joseph and Jesus. This is the Joseph who lived a long time ago with a Technicolor dream coat, if you remember the musical. We're learning a lot about Joseph. We've learned that um, he lived a pretty messed up life, that things always seemed to be going wrong, that he had one um, problem after another, that he came into a pretty dysfunctional family. From the get-go, we found out a couple of weeks ago that Joseph was a little bit of a spoiled young man. He was his dad's favorite. He had this beautiful coat that he showed off to his brothers. He had these dreams that one day his brothers would bow down to him, and instead of keeping that a secret, he's like, guys, guess what? God spoke to me, and you know what? You're all going to bow down to me. Uh Uh-huh, cool, yeah? Have you seen my coat? He was despised by his brothers. In fact, we found out last week that his brothers tried to kill him. They had every intention of taking his life, and then at the last minute, they had a change of plan, and instead they sold him into slavery. Sold him as a slave, sent off to Egypt to become a slave, and then took his beautiful coat home, ripped up and covered in animal's blood so that his father was led to believe that his son had died. His father lived many, many years after that in mourning and sadness because he felt that Joseph, his son, was dead. He didn't know that his other sons were keeping the truth from him, that Joseph was actually alive and in slavery in Egypt. But we found out that the Lord was with him. 
There was this phrase that cropped up last week as we were reading. It said, the Lord was with him. The Lord was with Joseph. And, and even though he was a slave, he still had this leadership gift upon his life. So he rose up through the ranks of this very influential family. Uh, the, the, the guy's name was Potiphar. He was the head of the uh, guard, the head of the army, basically, uh, in all of Egypt. So a very influential, powerful army. And Joseph rose to become the most important servant, the most important slave in Potiphar's household. But what we're going to learn as we focus in on Joseph's life in the weeks to come, and, and especially today, is that Joseph may not have realized this at the time, but God was using some of the circumstances he was finding himself in to develop his eulogy virtues. We're going to learn today that one of those virtues that have been developed in Joseph's life is a virtue that the CEO of Enron apparently didn't possess. And that's a virtue called integrity. We're going to learn today that Joseph was a man of integrity. So let's find out how that happens, okay? We're going to jump right back into the story this morning, um, and uh, we're going to take on from where we left off last week, and Joseph has just found himself, as I said, in the household of Potiphar. So in Genesis chapter 39, verses 2 to 5, it describes what life was like in this household with Joseph at the helm. It says, the Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. And this pleased Potiphar. So he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs ran smoothly and his crops and livestock flourished. Because God's hand was upon Joseph's life, even though he was a slave to this other person, things went well. And Potiphar liked this. Potiphar was benefiting from this. I think at this point, Joseph is probably starting to think, you know, that whole uh, being sold into slavery by my brothers, I remember being super bummed when that happened. I thought God had this plan for my life, and then I thought he'd given up on me. But now, I can kind of see that God was in this. This may actually have been part of that plan that I felt God had for me, because I'm seeing him develop me as a leader. I'm like the most important guy in this household. So, so I think Joseph's kind of faith in God has been restored here. I think he was starting to build some confidence, starting to get excited that, that actually things are looking up. And then along comes Potiphar's wife. Now, you may be familiar with this story. If you're not, we're going to dive into it this morning. But just when Joseph thought things were going well, listen to what happened in Genesis 39, verses 6 to 7. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't have to worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. And Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. Whoa. Things took a bit of a turn there, didn't they? Now, if you've been coming to Connect for a long time, you'll know that I often like to, um, you know, to, to enhance my message, to help illustrate what I'm saying. I'll show a clip from a TV show or a movie, but I just really felt this wasn't the right spot to do this. Maybe like Desperate Housewives, Days of Our Lives. I, I was like, ah, I'm not sure we could show that in church, but I think the grown-ups here are kind of getting an idea of what's going on 
in this story, so I will leave it there. Um, if you're a kid here this morning, basically, guys, in, in those days, it was bad during the day to take a nap, okay? And that's why, uh, that's why Joseph was in trouble. But um, anyhow, what we find out here is that Joseph's master, his wife, Joseph's master's wife, is trying to seduce Joseph. So before we look at how Joseph responded, I want to just look at this for a second. I want to say, what is going on here? Why is this happening? Maybe take a look to see if we can figure out what's going on here, why it's happening. And maybe something we can learn this morning as adults, maybe as married people, from what's going on. So we know from that verse that Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. So kind of a young Dave Jane, if you can picture that. And um, maybe not. But Potiphar... We also know that Potiphar was a powerful man. So it stands to reason that a man of his um, prestige and power, he would have had a very beautiful wife, a trophy wife maybe. We know that Egyptian culture was very immoral. It actually wouldn't be uncommon for a woman of influence to seduce a young man like this. So, So we know that everything's in place for this to happen. But I think there's one other element that played into this. And I want to take a quick look at that this morning because I think it could affect us. One other element. Listen to this. In Genesis 39, verse 6, it says, So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. He was a very powerful man, but he's also a husband. And we learn here that he didn't worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. You know, when I read that, I realize there's something that doesn't say. Here's what I mean. Here's here's what that sentence doesn't say. It doesn't say he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate and caring for his wife. It doesn't say that, does it? He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate and providing a safe and secure home for his wife. It doesn't say that. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate and providing company and conversation with his wife. No. All it says that Potiphar was concerned about was the food he ate. You know, I just wonder, it doesn't say this, but I'm looking at this and wondering, I wonder if with the amount of responsibility Potiphar gave Joseph, if suddenly Potiphar's wife started to see in Joseph what she'd actually longed to see in her own husband. Maybe she started to see in Joseph what she used to see in her husband when they were first married. Maybe she was attracted to Joseph because he was becoming to her what her husband should have been. Can I just say to all of us this morning, married people in this room this morning, myself included, all of you who one day may be married, marriage needs work. It's true, isn't it? If you've been married for any length of time here this morning, you'll know that marriage needs work. A guy by the name of Mignon McLaughlin had this quote. I love it. It says, A successful marriage requires falling in love many times, but always with the same person. It does. It needs work as you spend time married together. And Case and I, my wife and I, have been in ministry long enough now and have sat down with enough couples to see that sometimes some of those cracks that start to show up in the foundations of married people's lives because maybe the, the, the wife or the husband has, has built a friendship outside of that, that marriage relationship because they weren't getting that inside the marriage relationship. 
Now, I'm not saying that justifies it. At some point, if anyone steps outside of the, the relationship boundaries, they are, they are doing that. Um, that's, that's wrong to do that. But I am saying this. If we work hard at our relationships, I think it makes it harder for our spouse to do that. I just wonder in this situation, if it wasn't just because Joseph was well-built and handsome, it wasn't just because this was pretty common in an immoral culture like Egypt, but maybe Joseph was to Potiphar's wife what Potiphar wasn't to Potiphar's wife. And I want to pause there before we look at Joseph's response and maybe cause us to think this morning, you know, my marriage needs work. I need to work in my marriage. I don't want a Joseph or a Josephine to catch the eye of my spouse. I want to be the one that they care about and they feel cared for by. So let's jump back and see what happens here with Joseph. Now keep in mind this, the, the power dynamic that's at play here, okay? Because Joseph was a slave and she was basically his master. I mean, she was his master's wife, but she was in charge of Joseph. So Joseph's life, his very life could be on the line here. Disobeying him could cost him prison time, maybe even death. So when you consider that, I think Joseph's response is even more amazing. Listen to how Joseph responds when she says, come lay with me. He says in chapter 39, verse 8 and 9, Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you because you're his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. Do you know how Joseph doesn't kind of make up excuses like, oh, I'd love to, but I'm seeing someone right now. I just really want to focus on my work right now. I just, I'm not ready for a relationship. You know, I want to really kind of uh, stay focused on my... He calls it what it is. He says, no, this would be wrong. If I was to respond to your request, I would be betraying your husband, my boss. But more importantly than that, I believe I would be sinning against God. That's some pretty amazing character and integrity right there, isn't it? Do you know what I love about the life of Joseph? Is, is If you remember, this was just a couple of weeks ago, we were looking at a 17-year-old spoiled young man who got whatever he wanted. I just wonder if God's been at work in Joseph's life developing some, some character, some integrity here to where suddenly he's presented with an opportunity that he knows is wrong in the eyes of God and he makes the right decision. And I think if the story ended there, that alone would be pretty impressive, but it doesn't. Listen to this. She kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but he refused to sleep with her and he kept out of her way as much as possible. This wasn't just a, a one and done. This was a constant pressure day after day. And let's be honest here this morning, okay? It's not like Joseph's being tempted to eat broccoli. He's like, oh, no, sorry. I really don't want to eat broccoli. <laughs> I don't, if you're tempted to eat broccoli and you don't, and you consider that strength of character, broccoli's disgusting, okay? It's pretty easy to say no to broccoli. I'm sorry, all you broccoli lovers out there. You're like, Dave, you probably should eat more broccoli. Um, but it's not like it was something that Joseph didn't care for. I believe this would have been a beautiful woman. And I believe Joseph probably, this was a difficult choice. He knew it was wrong. And he knew he shouldn't do this. And, and he felt the pressure. In fact, it says he kept out of her way as much as possible. Because I think he knew that if he spent too much time with her, he may succumb to that temptation. 
In fact, in thinking about that, I think a real man isn't someone who puts himself in a place of danger and resists. I think a real man is someone who stays as far away from those areas as possible because he knows he's a real man. And to stay safe, I want to get away from this as much as possible. So here's what happens in Genesis 39. We discover that time after time after time, she keeps pressuring him, keeps saying, come on, come on. She's just not used to people saying no. She's used to getting her own way. And she doesn't like that Joseph is playing the God card and saying, I can't do that. I see your master. It's, it's God. And she keeps putting the pressure on, putting the pressure on, until one day she finally finds him alone. And he realizes he's trapped by her. And she grabs him by the cloak, it says. She grabs him by the cloak and says, come sleep with me. He's terrified, so he manages to wrestle out of his cloak and run away from her, probably naked or at least in his underwear, run away from her, leaving behind the cloak. She is so mad that he won't give in that she tells her husband that he tried to seduce her. She makes up this story. Potiphar comes home and she says, you're not going to believe what happened. Joseph tried to seduce me. He came in here and I knew you wouldn't believe me, so look, I got proof. Here's his cloak. How would I have his cloak? See, it's right here in the bedroom. She uses his cloak to condemn him for a lie that she makes up. His brothers ripped off his cloak, tore it up, put animal's blood to to lie to their dad about him being dead. If I was Joseph at this point, I'd stop wearing cloaks. I mean, they are just, it's just trouble. (laughs) It's just leading to one problem after another. It says in 39 verse 19, Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph and he threw him into prison where the king's prisoners were held and there he remained. It wasn't that long ago, Joseph was sat in the bottom of a pit, the bottom of a well, wondering, God, did you, what happened here? Now he finds himself in a prison cell, probably asking the same question, God, I was trying to do the right, what's this about? Joseph did what was right. He was a man of integrity. He could have succumbed and, and, and given in, and, and, but he didn't. He knew that he didn't want to stand against his master. He definitely didn't want to sin against God, so he stood up for integrity. So as we close out this morning, what can we learn from the life of Joseph? I think there is a couple of things that Joseph's life teaches us. The first is this, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. We live in a world that is messed up. And we are going to face challenges and temptations. And whether you're a follower of Jesus or not here this morning, there will be things that will cause you to think, you know what? I'm going to take a shortcut there. I know this is the right thing to do, but in this situation, I'm going to do the wrong thing. Don't be surprised. We should expect it. We should be ready for it. We should even anticipate it. Peter, one of Jesus' followers, he talked about it in, in the context of us following Jesus. He says, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Peter describes the devil there, the enemy, as, as like a prowling lion. He doesn't just sit back and let us go. He is constantly on the prowl just looking for a way for us to slip up, for us to mess up, for our integrity to be challenged. There was a pastor who lived during the Second World War. He lived in Germany. He actually lost his life because he stood up to Adolf Hitler. His name was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And I came across this quote on the subject of integrity. He himself was a follower of Jesus. And he said this. He says, in our members, in our body, 
There is a slumbering inclination towards desire, which is both sudden and fierce. With irresistible power, desire seizes mastery over the flesh. All at once, a secret smoldering fire is kindled. The flesh burns and is in flames. If you've ever been tempted in any way, I mean, that's like a very vivid explanation of how it feels to be tempted to do something you know you shouldn't do. He says, it makes no difference whether it's sexual desire, ambition, vanity, a desire for revenge, of love, of fame, of power, of greed for money. At this moment, God is quite unreal to us. He loses all reality. Satan does not here fill us with hatred of God, but with forgetfulness of God. I love that phrase. It's not that we, we, we mess up, we make the wrong decisions because we dislike God or we hate God. It's because sometimes in those moments, we forget God. We forget the power that is in our life. So we shouldn't be surprised when those temptations come. The second thing is I think we should just, just make, it, make it a plan, make it a goal in our lives to do the next right thing. To do the next right thing. Joseph had already decided he was going to do right by Potiphar and right by God. And his God-inspired decision to live a life of integrity, that helped give him that strength to resist. This phrase comes from um, the 12 Steps movement, if you're familiar with that. It says, when you don't know what to do, do the next right thing. I believe there is always an option to find uh, the right thing to do. We'll, we'll find ourselves in a crossroads, in that moment of decision, considering whether we should compromise. We don't suddenly hate God, but maybe we momentarily forget about God. It's those small decisions that we make in that moment to do the next right thing that can have huge implications. And that's what Joseph teaches us. But here's the last thing I want to just wrap up with this morning. Because when I, think it, I think when it comes to the subject of integrity and doing the right thing, I think we find ourselves in, in one of two camps this morning, or maybe we've been in both. The first is, it's, it's too late. I wish I'd known this a couple of weeks ago, a couple of months ago, a few years ago, because I've already messed up. And it's cost me dearly. It may have cost me a relationship. It may have cost me uh, a job. It may have cost me in a situation. I wish I'd known this back then. Or maybe the second camp is, I'm there right now, and I just wish I had the strength to do this, but I don't feel like I do. I don't feel like I can do this alone. As great as Joseph's example of integrity is for us today, it's important that we don't walk out of here this morning thinking, I just need to work harder at being good. That's the solution. I just need to try harder to be a better person because we're never going to be able to be, work hard enough. The truth is that as important as these eulogy virtues are, they can't be our source of hope. Our hope has to be Jesus. We have to put our hope in Jesus because he can truly give us the strength in the second camp to conquer these, these, these temptations, but also in the first camp, he can give us the, the grace to overcome the guilt we may feel by past problems. You know, that's the Jesus that these young people experienced this morning. They are stepping into a brand new life with him. Listen to how um, a guy by the name of Paul in the New Testament, he wrote a lot in the New Testament. He used to be an enemy of God. And then Jesus got a hold of his life. Jesus appeared, turned his life around, and he, he basically started the new church. He, he helped build the church of the New Testament. He said this when he was writing to a church in a city called Galatia. He says, For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus, and all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on 
new clothes. Do you know when God the Father, if, you, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, if you've given your life to Jesus this morning, when God the Father looks down on you, he sees these new clothes that you're wearing. I tell you what, you think Joseph had a beautiful cloak? You should see the cloak you're wearing this morning. As a follower of Jesus this morning, he sees Jesus in you. Because we're never going to be able to be good enough. We're never going to be able to work hard enough. But we are clothed in these new clothes. That's the way Paul describes it. Clothes that completely and perfectly cover all your shortfalls. Clothes that secure your place as a child of God. Clothes that can never be stripped away or removed, no matter what may happen or what you might do. So as we're inspired by Joseph to live a life of integrity, it's not easy. But we have a friend in Jesus who wants to help us, who wants to help us in that journey, who wants to be there as our support and our strength and our guide in the difficult times, who wants to forgive us and pick us back up when we mess up and we fall over and help us to learn and help us to grow and help us to become more like him. And we could try in our own strength, but I want you to know this morning that there is a God in heaven that loves you so much whether or not you even realized it this morning, he still loves you. It's not a conditional thing where if you kind of turn your eyes to him, he'll respond and say, okay, I love you. He loves you this morning. And these boys and girls and teenagers shared the difference that that love has made in their lives. And that same love can make that same difference in your lives this morning. It's just a simple decision to follow him. And if you're a follower of him this morning, and if like me, you look at the life of Joseph and think, man, how awesome that his eulogy virtue was he was to be remembered as a man of integrity. Man, I'd love that. But it's hard sometimes. I mess up sometimes. I do wrong sometimes. But like Paul says, with Christ in baptism, we have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. Jesus, with these new clothes on, help me to live a life that will glorify you. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much for this amazing morning, hearing these wonderful stories from these young people who love you so much. Maybe some of us look on and think, man, I wish I could go back to that age because I've made a lot of mistakes. I've done a lot of things wrong. I'm not sure that my eulogy virtue list would be very long, but it is never too late to start over. It's never too late to make a new commitment. It's never too late to say, God, would you help me live my life for you? I want to follow you. I want to I live a life like Joseph, that when the good times come, when the bad times come, the mess of it all, I see that you're in the middle of that mess, helping me become the best husband, wife, father, mother, employee, neighbor, the best person I can possibly be. And I know, Lord, that I could work hard at that, but I would always fall short. So help me to live my life out of a love and relationship with Jesus so that he would shine through me. Thanks, Lord, for a fantastic morning. Help us to have a great rest of the day. In Jesus' name, amen.